Hi, welcome back to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. I'm your host, Valeria, and today's guests are Andy and Amanda Rodriguez, the husband and wife duo behind the Salty Donut. The Salty Donut is an artisanal donut shop and coffee bar with multiple locations across the U.S. In this episode, Amanda and Andy share their journey from selling donuts out of a vintage camper to opening their first retail store in Wynwood and expanding to multiple locations across Florida and the United States. We talk about the process of creating their chef-made small batch craft donuts and building a loyal customer base. Andy and Amanda also share the challenges they faced when starting and financing their business, plus their tips for finding success, not just in the food business, but in entrepreneurship. Let's get into the show. Amanda and Andy, it's great to have you on the show. Can you please introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about your career backgrounds? Sure, I'd, I'd love to get started. So first and foremost, thank you for having us. We're very excited to get to chat today. Uh, my name is Andy Rodriguez, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of The Salty, which is an artisan donut and coffee shop with a baked good twist that was founded in South Florida and now has locations pretty much across the, the Southeast U.S., and Texas. I got to this point kind of by a not very traditional career path, I would say. So pretty much while still in high school or really beginning of college, let's say, I knew I wanted to do something very entrepreneurial. And so I had a couple of different ideas in automotive technology. And I launched my first couple of companies, which were massive failures, but learning experience nonetheless. So from a really early age, started with an entrepreneurial spirit for owning and operating small business. So this is my first venture in food, but food's always been my passion. So this was the first time where I got to marry sort of my upbringing and career, let's call it in small business and entrepreneurship with my passion, which has always been food and beverage. Very cool. Amanda, what about you? Yeah. So my name's uh, Amanda and I started the Salty with Andy. For me, it was a little bit different situation than Andy. So I was still at, at UM, the University of Miami. I was about to graduate and kind of thinking what I was going to do with my life. I was double majoring in accounting and finance. And I thought I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to be a bit more creative. And then I was chatting with Andy and anywhere we traveled, it was always about food. And I was like, maybe I want to do something in food and I want to do something creative. So right when I was about to graduate, actually, uh, I put school on pause, and then we started the Salty. That's awesome. So, I mean, you kind of alluded to this already, but what inspired the both of you to start the Salty Donut, and where did the name come from? The, the idea really came from Amanda and I's travels together, and our travels were always based around food and finding out the coolest spot in whatever city we were going to, and somehow... As we started our, our relationship, because we're married, but back then we were dating, whenever we would travel somewhere for, for personal reasons, we would always find the coolest coffee shop, coolest donut shop, the coolest restaurants, and we would go and visit all these places. And when we were doing so, we kind of realized that there was such an amazing push on culinary and these restaurants were doing such unbelievably cool things. And, and in coffee too, by the way, but that sort of experiential and thought evoking moment and experiences was completely lacking in the donut and let's call it bakery space. So we felt like 
not just in South Florida, but across the entirety of the country, if someone were to do artisan donut concept with an incredible coffee program with beautifully designed spaces that made you want to stay there and utilize it almost like a cafe, that it could be something absolutely successful. And so the lack of that existing across the country made us feel like if we did it right, it could be something that could catch wildfire. Yeah, they, I am um, based in Austin and uh, Salty opened up here not that long ago. And I, I've definitely never seen a donut shop like that. It's just very captivating. Like you do want to stay in there and like study or work. So I can definitely see how you were feeling that that was missing from the places that you you and Amanda were checking out. Yeah, I mean, donuts historically have always been just like a cheap grab and go like naughty thing you know like it's Mm -hmm. not healthy for you and it's like cheap and you just shove it in the box and take it to the office and so we really felt like there was a different approach to that by doing everything homemade you know making everything in-house at an incredibly high level and looking for balance and flavors and textures where nothing's too sweet nothing's too salty and really taking a culinary centric approach to donuts so yeah, it's it's a totally different ballgame than normal donut experience, both in the in the product itself and then also the shop, like you're mentioning. So it's uh it's been cool to keep crafting that idea. And I definitely want to get into more about how you're elevating the total experience. But first, I want to get into the steps you took to initially turn your business idea into a reality. What we decided was how can we blend what at the time were the best donut shops um, in the country into one. So picking what we liked on multiple donut shops across the country. And then our twist, of course, not just like copied everybody. From there, we were like, okay, we have our concept. We think we know what we're doing. Think we know what we're doing. Now what do we do? How do we, you know, get the capital? How do we even start to fry a donut? And because right then and there, we were testing donuts like in our apartment that we lived in at the time. We were between South Miami and Wynwood as our first location. And before just like all of a sudden opening up a a spot, because we knew that that build out would take quite a bit of time, we had decided to start with a vintage camper alongside that we had signed a lease for our first store and everything in Wynwood, but it was much less capital to get started out of that camper. We still have it today, actually. It's the 1950s Aljoa camper that we had gone to Ohio to buy and we turned it into like a donut shop on wheels. Doing just three days a week uh, as a pop-up, it was myself, Andy, and we had someone in the kitchen doing the donuts and then also a barista at the time. So you're just a four-man team really making all these donuts. That's kind of how we got our, our foot in the door very small before just really going for everything. That's awesome. And actually, I've had a few food-based company founders on the podcast before that also started either with a food truck or a camper like yourself. So I think it's a great, it seems like a great way to kind of test the market. And so I'm curious what the response was like from the community when you first started selling donuts out of the vintage camper. It was crazy. And I I say that because we just kind of did whatever we, we could to try to get the word out, but we opened and for the first few weeks, it was, you know, our friends and family showing up to, to support us and mm-hmm. a few guests here and there that would come by. But then it just like snowballed out of control, you know, for like a period of a month, probably everyone started to talk about these two crazy kids in a parking lot with, you know, strung lights and 
picnic tables and music because it wasn't it was quote unquote just a camper but we also tried to make it feel like it wasn't like an installation so we had you know a gravel pit with with cool art behind it and tents and strung lights and music and a coffee bar so it was like a whole thing so everyone started to talk about it started to get ridden up on by Miami Herald and Miami New Times and all these people all these publications uh, and just sort of like all of a sudden the community just started to have to find out what it was that everybody was talking about and it just like snowballed out of control so I would say the idea that we had to do this in this way really kind of caught wildfire and then the community just supported us every step of the way thereafter. So what would you say were some of the biggest challenges that you faced when starting your business? Not that we had no idea what we were doing, but honestly, like we had no idea that what <laughs> we were doing um, because it's like you could do all this research, you can do all this testing and then you just open, you're just like, oh crap. And what the biggest challenge was, which was a great challenge and the kind of challenge you want is the demand. So we had lines that were just out of control and we were trying to say, how do we make this in donuts? How do we keep them fresh? And dealing with customer service while Andy and I were still just like, on register while also building out a store. And so being such a small team, even though back then it was a small problem compared to now, it was really just like the lack of knowledge that we had that really made it a bit difficult. It was really just figuring things out as we went, honestly. The other part of it, which is just how to scale a business from all the different facets, from capital requirements to different municipality and governmental authorities that you need to go and, and play by to staffing, to building a company culture, to hiring and to like just all these different facets that it takes to scale a business, which I was always in small business, but like really small business, right? Like it was a two man, three man team. This is from its, you know, almost immediately after its inception with this, within its first year was 25 people, then became 40, then became 60, then became 100. And you know now we're at like 250 plus employees. I mean, it's that part of the business was certainly something I had never been through before and neither had Amanda. So we really had a lot of challenges and road bumps to figure out how to navigate all those things. That's a lot of growth in a short amount of time. And we'll definitely get into more about the process you all have gone through to expand your business. But I'd love to know if there are any lessons learned from your pop-up days in the camper that you still apply to your business today. Yeah, I mean, I think one for me would be just tenacity and, and, and grit. Sometimes you get put into situations in what we do and really with any, any business in general, but particularly one that's scaling. You get put into just insane challenges and insane situations that you have no idea the answer to or, or what to do you know and that's been from day one maybe it was a simpler problem back when it was just the camper and just us two slinging and charging credit cards to the people and like doing all that stuff but on register making the coffee so maybe the problems are more complex now but the same methodology still applies which is you're gonna get curveballs you're gonna get them all the time you're gonna get you're going to have fires to put out all the time. And most of the time, it'll be something you've never seen before. So just having that grit and tenacity to just say, no matter what the circumstance, no matter what's going on, we will figure it out. There's no other option. That has maintained the whole time. 
That's great. Your experience in the camper was like almost a little boot camp of what was to come when you op- opened up your first location. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so let's get into that. What was the process that you all went through to open your first retail store in Wynwood? So while we were dealing with the, the camper and Andy, Addis, because he's more of the leasing side of things if we want to get into those details. But while we were um, in the camper, we had also signed a lease in Wynwood and that whole project was extremely delayed and we had no idea about construction and delays and we just thought when someone tells you a date it's the date so we were about like a year delayed from what we originally thought but that process was you know we just typical like signed a lease for I believe it was 10 years and while that that build out is way different than how we do build outs now so that build out of our first store was truly built off just like our credit cards and borrowing money and just as cheap as possible, like what could we do to get to get this thing open? And so that was definitely a bit of a of a journey to do. But I think Andy could add some more context too. Sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, we we basically we signed the lease for the building we were going into while we started the camper. So we kind of had a means to an end. But yeah, it was challenging with construction delays and we had never been through construction like that ever. So we had to navigate that. Um, and so there was the, the the permitting side and, you know, the architects and the contractors. And then there was the capital requirements to do uh, actually build the store. So that was really early on something that was very challenging for us. And, you know, as you learn through the, the, the years in the process, you get a lot more efficient at it and you become a lot better at it. But back then it was like, you know, we were climbing up the highest mountain we had ever climbed. You know, it was something we had never done before. And so it was highly complicated to figure that out, figure out how to train staff, how to keep staff, how to document when something had gone wrong with a staff member, you know, how to do payroll, how to make sure you're you're complying with with federal and local regulations for employees and payroll, just like a lot of stuff in a short mm-hmm. amount of time, you know. So it was quite quite the ride to get that that store open, but I think. After that, you know, then you start putting together the Lego and the building blocks. And even though you're consistently seeing things you've never seen before, those things become less and less and less, the more and more and more you you keep scaling. Some of the things you're talking about, like documenting issues with employees or following local guidelines, a lot of that stuff is things that nobody really teaches you. And so I'm curious, Mm -hmm. were you just researching on your own or connecting with other entrepreneurs in your network? Like how are you problem solving things that you would never come across? I would say it's a, it's a combination of a lot of things early on. Yeah. You Google, you ask a subject matter expert, whether that's a mentor, a friend, a family member, as time goes on, every intersection we have where we find ourselves banging our heads against the wall, we really try to bring someone on the team, even if it's a position that's never existed before to handle whatever that is. So for example, HR, right? We were talking about payroll and local and and federal guidelines. And so as we kept growing and growing and growing, when we hit a certain threshold, we figured out that it's impossible for us to be able to handle this, Amanda or myself or anyone else on the team that is not a professional in human resources. And so we went out and we found an incredible director of human resources and said, drive us where we need to go. We've done that in basically every facet, right? Operations, human resources, accounting, culinary, all these different facets. And I think that should be the focus for pretty much every entrepreneur. It's like at the beginning, you're going to do it all. 
But as soon as you find yourself in a position where you can start to bring on people, even if it's an investment and even if it's a reach hire, the faster you can do that, the faster you can scale. And so for us, it's always make sure the profitability of the company is healthy to the four walls of the units, but reinvest absolutely everything that we need to and have to in order to continue to bring the best experts in their respective fields to be a part of the company. And I think that's the only way that you can really scale. Yeah, that makes sense. And we talked about how the Salty is kind of elevating the traditional donut experience. I'd love to learn what goes into creating your artisanal donuts and how you come up with new and creative flavors. It's a pretty exciting process for us that hasn't, I mean, it's evolved a bit since we've opened, but it's fun because I don't think a lot of people understand like how much goes in behind the donuts. So now we've grown to have, uh, her title is flavor research and development. And so the way that we plan is that we get with her just on like ideas. So like verbal, verbal stuff at the beginning of just like what we think would be tasty, uh, what's in season, uh, cause we are very about seasonality. And then she takes it from there. So her name's Audrey and she takes it from there of, okay, what can, what kind of donut can I create? The awesome thing about what we do that's really different from what anything I've ever seen and also causes a lot of logistics on our end of of way more complicated than other donut shops is that we change our menu almost every two weeks. So we meet with her four times a year to test donuts almost six months in advance. And usually when we test, since it is only four times a year, it's like 20, around 20 donuts and baked goods at a time. And what we're tasting for, we're just like, it's very about texture and salt and crunch and just all of that combined. I mean, nine times out of 10, she gets it on like the first try, but sometimes we also need a retest on things, but it's just definitely a very intense process. Cause then after that, it goes through final testing, a whole photo shoot, and then it goes to all of our teams, which right now we have eight different stores. So training eight different stores on new products that launch every two weeks is also a bit complicated because it's all through zoom pretty much that's the whole back end of the process all for just a donut (laughs) to lunch on our menu right i mean donut tasting's got to be the best part of the job though right (laughs) that sounds pretty amazing I know every time, like, let's say if I post on my Instagram or whatever, everybody's like, wait, can I get that job? <laughs> no. <laughs> the donut tasting job. Yeah. I also like that, like you said, the menu is seasonal, but also I know that for your Texas locations, you offer kolaches, which I love. I think one of them has like brisket from Terry Black. So targeting the audience that you're in with your location has been really smart of you all to do as well. Yeah. And that's also been like, like a hurdle that I think we've overcome already, but it was like, how do we keep every store both in design and also through their menu a little different, but while still keeping our branding and our image, but then also keeping not too crazy of launches. Cause imagine like if you have a bunch of different seasonals and a bunch of different stores up through our Instagram, everybody's going to be like, wait, what am I, what do I have where? So we've mm-hmm. kept it like down to like what we think would be like the most appreciated in that city. So like kolaches, and then we actually are now doing a kolache version uh, across all of our stores. So every store has like what their kolache of the local partner would be. So that's a really cool and like experimental thing that we've been able to achieve and we're really happy about it. Yeah, I'm getting hungry now that we're talking about. I know, I'm hungry. (laughs) 
Well, you mentioned, you know, maintaining quality across all locations while you're expanding. So can you talk about the process of expanding the salty to multiple locations while still maintaining quality at each shop? Definitely. So whenever we go to open a new store, we actually have five to six weeks of training. And that's like where the store is done. It's ready. It's beautiful, ready to accept customers, but we're going through a whole training program with our team front and back of house. And so this is really where the root of it starts. So we just have teams of people who have been with us and they know our quality and consistency. And they're the ones that go around to all the stores for training and also future uh, development and revisits. We're like the documentation central, like everything in our company is documented with an SOP. It's our Google drive is a bit crazy, <laughs> um, but we're very, very particular. Like just in case if anybody has questions or whatever, it's like, there's just a ton of information and resources that we provide for them. That's good. Yeah. You have to be organized in order to continue growing, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So I know your company is not currently franchising. So how do you choose where to open new stores and what factors do you consider? That's a great question. The first part of it, which is the scientific part, there are all sorts of different data points and inputs that you can utilize to figure out what makes your existing location successful from a customer frequency, customer type, and drive time radius. And you can use that to extrapolate, okay, well then, Based on that information, where else are those customers in that driving zone elsewhere in this country? Once you've established what those are, then comes the more artistic piece, which is what are the, some of the culinary hotspots in America and which one of those markets makes sense for us based on the demographic of the market overall, based on what some of our you know peers that, and by peers, I don't mean donut shops. We look at other multi-unit food and beverage operators that are much bigger and much more sophisticated than we are. And we see where are they because we find ourselves aligning with that customer profile. And then we tie that together with our team that does all of our national real estate strategy. And so they are formidable experts at this stuff and this stuff only. They utilize both of these inputs to sort of figure out what are the places we need to be in. And then we make the decisions. And so Right now, you can kind of see that strategy starting to take shape. You know, we're in Florida and we keep outfitting Florida. We're in Texas. We keep outfitting Texas uh, and we're moving our way up the southeast into the Carolinas and Georgia and et cetera. So that's really how it's determined. And then the last part of it, which is we go and we spend time in these markets and we eat our way and talk our way and experience this market like a consumer to understand what it's all about. Are there any upcoming locations that people can know about? Yeah, so two stores in Atlanta, but those have already been announced. And then after that, we have Coconut Grove. That one has been announced. Tampa. One that we haven't announced, we're coming to Houston. We own a building there in Houston. It's been quite the process. I think, well, have we been going at it for like a year now of permitting or something? But uh, that one will be underway very soon. That's exciting. When you do open new locations, it's not uncommon for, you know, a line to be wrapped around the block. I know that was the <laughs> case at South Congress here when you opened the Salty at your Austin location. <laughs> so can you talk about any specific strategies that you use to build a loyal customer base for the Salty? Yeah, I think it really goes down to who we are as a company. 
between our experience, our vibe, our product, and what we just overall provide to our customer. We hear from so many, I mean, even like very important high up CMOs that they're just like, your marketing is insane. So even if someone hasn't been to our shop, they almost just know what to expect. And that's what we want. We want someone to just be excited that if they're going to a city where our shop is, they'd be like, they scope it out and go and find it. And so it's always scary opening in a new city that we don't have a store just because it's like, how do people know about us? And what happens if nobody shows up? But we do a really good job if we're talking specifics of like how we open a store is just getting really involved in the local community, which we've always been about since day one, even whether it's our own hometown, Miami, but just, we don't want to just be this company that, you know, this shop that opens up in different cities and has no idea what's going on. So we really embed ourselves with the people and between all of those connections of just experience and also physical connection of the community, it just brings people out because there's nothing like just like a feel good brand, you know, that this just like easy and casual and just fun. And luckily for us, like we serve a really fun product. I mean, like I've never heard of a donut, like making someone sad. So it's all, it's a little easy on our end because they're just so beautiful and happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's not that hard to market it, but I mean, I guess you'd be surprised of what other people do, but um, <laughs> that's just at least for us. Yeah. And I think the design of your store also draws a lot of attention because it is, you know, so aesthetically pleasing and kind of aligns with the marketing efforts you were speaking to. So it's just like a new donut experience that people may have not seen yet at their hometown. Yeah. And what I love about our designs is I like to say that they're almost like a little bit overkill. Like when you walk into our shops, you're kind of like, wait, this is a donut shop. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's, I love that because it's like something that, you know, the high end quality that we set our standards to is definitely shown through our build outs. You mentioned that when you started, neither of you had experience in the food industry. Now that you have several years under your belt, what qualities do you think are necessary for someone to be successful in the food industry? I think now more than ever, people want quality. I think they want transparency in what they're eating. And that means, you know, no preservatives and not full of a bunch of stuff that you can't pronounce, you know, so quality, transparency. Um, I think the food and the environment have to tell a story. There has to be some form of experience. Um, And I think it has to be an incredibly high level of customer service and customer interaction, always doing right by the guest and really trying to create raving fans. I mean, that's like our whole motto. So if quality is there, customer service is there, those things are all incredibly important. Yeah, I can see that because all those three things that you just listed are things that customers really remember. You know, when you're going, remember what the food is like, how you were treated and, you know, what it felt like to be in there. So, yeah, yeah. You don't, you don't want someone to say, "Mm, what donut shop do I want to go to today? This one, this one, this one, salty, the other one. It should be, if I'm in the mood for donuts, there is no other option. I have to go to salty. And why are you going to go there? Because of all the things I just mentioned, you know, it has to be memorable. Two of your brand's core values are cultivating connections and creating a positive social impact. I'm curious how your business accomplishes these goals and why it's important for you to prioritize them. Really what it's about is we are a South Florida founded company. No matter what size we end up being, 
we never want it to feel or be that we're just a multi-unit, multi-state corporation that we just pop these stores out and that's the end of the story. No matter where the store is, no matter if it's tiny, if it's huge, there is such an important part of who we are. I would say probably the most important part of who we are as a company that just is about serving the local community that we are in. Whether that just means the way that we design a store playing homage to where it's in and not feeling like this is salty and this is what salty looks like and we're going to shove it down your throat no matter what. You know, like it, it's forming around what the environment that we're in, the building we're in, what that building means to the community. You know, is there a story to be told there and like conforming who we are to make sense of that so that the community feels like it's a welcome and comfortable place. That's one way. Um, doing a lot of community-driven events. So like on Valentine's Day, all of our shops, you'll find a local florist selling flowers outside. On you know Mother's Day, the same. Uh, partnering with different local purveyors, right? Terry Black in Texas, Four River Smokehouse in, in, in Orlando, that kind of stuff. The more like charitable contribution and philanthropist part of just like having different donuts at different part of the year on the menu where proceeds get donated to different organizations. And usually those are not, like at a national level that all stores donate to the same one, but usually those are localized community, community-based charities and et cetera. So that way too. And then the, the more, let's call it like the, the, the fun way, like leading a run or a cycling club or yoga. We do that pretty much almost every weekend at every store. And that's always with a local group. So everything we do is based around the notion that yes, we're from South Florida Yes, we're scaling to a bunch of different states and different cities, but every time we do one of these stores, there is a very specific peculiarity to that store that weaves its way into the cloth of the local community. And that for us is everything. Yeah, it's not something that's easy to accomplish. So kudos to you guys for making it a priority. Yeah, just about making people feel comfortable and happy to, for us to be there. You know, looking back on your journey, I know there probably have been so many pinch me moments, especially starting in a camper to now, you know, it's hard for you to even keep track of how many locations you have. So I'm curious, like what has been the most emotional or rewarding moment that you've experienced while building and growing the Salty? I think the most rewarding, if we talk about internal, maybe you could talk about then external, Andy, but just the amount of team members that we've been able to employ you know when we first started Salty we were four people and now we're like about around 200 and the opportunity that we've been able to provide to all of our employees and just we just do donuts and coffee and baked goods but yet we've been able to provide a living for about you know 200 people and that's like insurance just major benefits and every year we're just adding more and more perks and I think you know, it's something that when we first started Salty, we were like, we want to be like a cool company to work for. And it's it's also like a lot harder than it sounds. Like, you know, you could have wants and needs, but then of course it's just like all the back end stuff behind it. But between last year and this year, what we've been able to achieve is just everything we've ever set ourselves out for. And I think it's like literally why we started the Salty to provide such an awesome place to work. And I feel like we've achieved that and we just are continuing to grow on it. That's certainly one of the ones for me as well, as well as just corporate culture and doing right by your employees and trying to do the best you can for them. It's always a struggle and a challenge and something that's, it's, a, it's always a work in progress. You know, like you never stop 
But I think being able to just provide opportunity for people within communities or even just providing opportunity within the organization itself and being able to scale to a point where people can make real careers out of working for us is a different spin on what Amanda said, but one of the most rewarding things because you see someone that started, this is a real life example, someone that started as a, as just like a, a part-time prep cook, just making glazes and, and fillings now is, you know, basically second, but like basically in command of one of our units has been with us for a multitude of years, bought their first house, right? Saved up for the deposit on their first house, like has a mortgage on the, and then bought a beautiful home with his wife. Like that's incredible, you know? And so those sorts of stories, the, the, the healthier we can make the company and the more sophisticated we can make the company and the more we can grow, but do it in the right ways, it provides just so much more opportunity for everyone that works at the company. And so for me, that's absolutely one of like the most rewarding and, and, and sort of pinch me moments. And I think if you then uh, flipping it to just something absurd, we get to work with such cool people, whether it's celebrities or athletes, just totally pinch me moments. Like we did a Super Bowl campaign for Uber Eats with Rob Gronkowski and I'm like in the kitchen making a donut with Gronk and I'm like, what am I doing right now? This is just like, this is absurd, you know? So stuff like that or being able to sit uh, at a meeting with Danny Meyer and like getting feedback from him, like that was a pinch me moment for sure. One of our shareholders is a professional uh, basketball player, he's an NBA athlete. So being able to just hang out with him and creating a rapport with him and and we're super close now and just the coolest stuff that you never, I never thought in a million years would ever happen from just selling donuts and coffee, you know, like it's really, really cool. That's amazing. And I feel like everything you're saying kind of goes back to something you said earlier, which is to not underestimate the power of reinvesting in your business, because when you do take care of your people, it's going to benefit your company in the long run and take you to places that you may have never even imagined. Yeah, agreed. Well, I've had a few husband and wife duos on the podcast before, and I, you know, I like to ask everyone a little bit about their experience because everyone is different. So I'm curious how you balance the demands of running a business with your personal lives as well as your relationship. That's a great, great question. (laughs) I would say it's a constant work in progress. It's ever evolving and changing based on the business needs at the moment the personal relationship needs at the moment too. I just think you have to be patient. And I think you have to set boundaries with each other of clear roles, pulling on the strengths of each person. And I also think just learning how to be really highly adaptable because every month and every year of your relationship and every month and every week and every year of your business are totally different from the one before The hardest part for me, when you're thinking of business, constructive criticism is good. You know, you don't want everyone to just agree with you all the time. But then when you think about a, you know, relationship, like a personal relationship, constructive criticism kind of sucks. So it's like, you don't really want your significant other to be like telling you all the time, like things you can improve on. It's like, no, we want to be a team. So understanding that when we're having a professional conversation maybe like it's something that we don't agree on which happens often whether in branding or even donut testing or much larger growth questions as well not just as small as donut testing those run-ins 
they don't make it back home. At the beginning, when we first started Salty, it was definitely, I was taking everything a bit too personal. Um, and Andy as well, it's just like kind of awkward. Like it's, it's like you want to have these conversations professionally, but then relating it to personal is just, it makes it really uncomfortable. So learning how to separate the two is extremely hard, but I think we've uh, not mastered it because there's always room for improvement, but definitely have gotten way, way better than when we first started Salty. Thank you for sharing that. I feel like a lot of times people see partners that are also founders and you everything kind of looks a little bit picture, picture perfect from the outside. So it's always mm-hmm. great to get some advice on like, we go through challenges too. And it's just about putting in the effort to make it work and knowing that everything has a solution in the long, in the long term. Yeah. And just remembering those key facts of like separating the personal and professional, um, which is extremely hard. I mean, it's taken us like five years to master, but uh, mm-hmm. it's definitely not rainbows and butterflies all the time. No, <laughs> <laughs> not donuts and coffee all the time. Yeah, right. No, we're not just hanging out and tasting donuts all day long laughing. (laughs) Well, I know you have a couple of more locations coming up in the near future, but are there any other goals you have for the Salty in the coming years that you'd like to share? I think it's just continuing to grow the footprint across the country and finding creative ways to expand our menu to not just be donuts. And it's something we've been piloting and playing with and doing little by little. And I think we're going to keep an emphasis on that as well. I can't wait to see what other menu changes come in the future. But for right now, I literally have no complaints. Every time I go in the salty, I try something new and it's always great. Oh my gosh, we appreciate that so much. That's awesome. I like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide a few words of wisdom. So what is your biggest piece of advice for founders and entrepreneurs? We've been through so much and you kind of realize when you come out of it at the end of the obstacle. You have to trust the process, meaning that it's not always going to be rainbows and butterflies. And you have to understand when going into it that that is part of the process. It's it's going to be a struggle, but it's almost like, I don't know, like a Hunger Games kind of thing that it's like the weakest won't survive like that. And the process, as long as you just embrace the what will come and not just that like, oh, I'm my own boss. I can do whatever I want all the time. Then you will get through these hurdles much better and understanding that if, it, if everything was rainbows and butterflies all the time, then you would never grow. Yeah, I would say um, a small business at its inception is gritty and you got to get ready to get dirty and just do it by any means necessary. And then you have to learn how to shift that into a much more process-oriented and professional enterprise. I think that's probably the biggest piece of advice. And I think the other thing that I would say too is not always worrying about gigantic changes for gigantic impact, but rather focusing on the little things day to day that you can tweak over time that compound into massive change down the road. Well, great advice from you both. I love learning more about how the salty came to be. Before I let you go, can you please let everyone know where they can keep up with you and the salty online and on social media? Yeah, so you can always reach out to us via email. It's andy at saltydonut.com and amanda at saltydonut.com or if it's just general, uh, donuts at saltydonut.com. And the most, probably the easiest way to get a hold of someone or ask a question or whatever, definitely on social. So at the salty donut on Instagram and all of the other uh, social media platforms.
Thank you so much to Andy and Amanda for joining me on the podcast and thank you to everyone listening. I hope you join us next week for a new episode of Office Chats.